Some people tell me that they are not happy with Pope Francis. What? I don't understand how that is possible. First of all, we must trust that the Holy Spirit is in charge. And if that's the case, then this is the Pope that we are meant to have today. That means that St. John Paul II was the Pope for his time, that Benedict XVI was the right Pope for his time, and Francis is the right Pope for today. We must not be afraid. Francis has a different style, but the Church is not changing. Doctrine is not changing. The Church that Jesus Christ founded is still the Church that Jesus Christ founded. What I personally like about Francis is that he is normal. He is down to earth. He is a pastor. He preaches daily without notes. He greets people after Mass. He wears normal shoes. He has a normal car. There's nothing to fear in that. Francis's motto is Miserando atque eligendo. That means literally, by having mercy, by choosing him. It comes from one of Venerable Bede's homilies referring to Jesus calling Matthew. Jesus saw the tax collector and by having mercy chose him as an apostle, saying to him, follow me. The fact that this is Francis's motto, and it was his motto before he was Pope, shows that the message of mercy is of great importance to him. If we look to the Gospels, I think that we can say that mercy was of huge importance to Jesus too, more so than law and piety. Perhaps the message of mercy should also be of great importance to us. Don't be afraid to get on the Francis bandwagon. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. As you already know, this show is available for streaming or download online at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and now also on Roku. But the Salt and Light Hour is also heard over the airwaves thanks to our partners in the United States. If you're listening on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, or on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, on the Lamb Catholic Radio Network, or on Holy Family Radio in Northeastern Ohio, or on the Barriga Radio Network in Northern Michigan, or now on Relevant Radio, thank you for your support. I also want to publicly thank all these networks for their support because they, like us, also rely on your support. If you're listening to Catholic Radio today and you like what we do, please support these radio networks. Catholic broadcasting costs money. Please keep us in your prayers. And if you can, consider making a financial contribution. If you like the Salt and Light Hour, please remember that you're listening to this program for free and without your support, this program cannot exist. Please write to me and tell me what we can do to improve. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And if you can, please consider sending us a small donation to help us continue bringing you the best that Salt and Light can offer. Send your comments to me directly, Deacon Pedro, via Facebook or Twitter. Today, after our news and Saint of the Week, Danny Torque will be here to tell us how to build up a PR department. This is invaluable advice for anyone working in the church who is doing everything by him or herself and who doesn't have a budget. That's in about 20 minutes. In our second half hour, we will be speaking with Jasmine Lemieux-Lefebvre. He is the communications director for the Archdiocese of Quebec. If you're in Canada, surely you've heard about the history of the church in Quebec. Jasmine will shed some light on issues of secularism and freedom of religion. 
That's in about half an hour. And after that, we'll be speaking with singer-songwriter Michael James Meddy, who just came back from an almost two-year-long tour around the United States and has a new album, Arts and Humanity. Let's start with a song from that album. Here's Michael James Meddy with Skin and Bones from his new album, Arts and Humanity. was Michael James Meddy with Skin and Bones from his new album, Arts and Humanity. We're going to be speaking with Michael James in our second half hour. But first, here is Stefan with our news, uh, Vatican Finance News. Vatican Finance News is the order of the day. Uh, but a week ago, we heard about a story in Italy's L'Espresso magazine uh-huh. uh, that alleged to contain leaks from the Vatican 
that accused the Secretary of State of overspending and of getting into, uh, I guess you could say, internal little squabbles with other departments. Okay. So those squabbles were alleged to have culminated between a meeting with Cardinal Pell, who's the prefect, and Pope Francis. Okay. Uh, Father Lombardi, the uh, head of the Holy See Press Office, mm-hmm. came out and emphatically denied that this was the case. Uh, went so far as to say that the leaks were illegal. Uh, they made all kinds of suggestions over spending uh, when, in fact, the Secretary of State, which is brand new, has just been set up in the last year mm-hmm. under Cardinal Pell, is apparently coming in way, way under budget. So not an issue, just some sensationalism and what appears to unfortunately look like some mudslinging internally in Rome. Yes. This was the precursor to a major announcement coming out of the Vatican where Pope Francis appro- approved uh, a number of new financial statutes uh, uh-huh. for the Holy See. Okay. So uh, separate statutes for the Council of the Economy, the Secretary of State, and the General Auditor's Office. Mm-hmm. So the first, the Council of the Economy, is really going to be sort of the policy-making department. Mm-hmm. The Secretary of State is going to be sort of the managing day-to-day of the Vatican's finances mm-hmm. and all departments. And the General Auditor's Office has the power to audit anybody without anyone getting in the way. So these statutes have been put in place uh, temporarily by Pope Francis. It's kind of a trial run, but it's assumed that these will probably become permanent after they've kind of proven their weight. Yes. Changes. 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 Um, To Syria, 19 Christians released? 19 Christians released of the over 200 200. that were taken uh, captive by the Islamic State. Uh Uh, Most of those released were older, over the age of 50, um, mostly men, but we still have many, many men, women, and children, and children. still being held. Uh, their whereabouts, their condition, and what's planned for them is still unknown. Right. But uh, again, as we said last week, more. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll hear more as the story develops. Uh, very sad what's happening in that region of the world. Um, but we might have some new saints. We might indeed. Uh, it looks as though uh, Pope Francis has decided to canonize uh-huh. the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux. Okay, yes. So while this is not official, Cardinal Angelo Amato, who is the prefect Mm -hmm. uh, for the causes of saints, uh, basically said the other day that this is a done deal and that the official consistory making the announcement is probably going to come around the time of June. And to tie the importance of a family together, Uh we have three saints in one family, it looks as though this canonization will be done during uh, the Senate of Bishops on the family this October at the Vatican. Okay, that makes sense. So... The parents of St. Therese, Holy Family, three saints in a family. That makes perfect sense. That would take place during the Synod, but nothing's confirmed. Nothing is confirmed. Nothing is confirmed, but you heard it here first on this program. Thank you, Stefan, for that piece of news. You can watch Stefan's daily update on Perspectives Monday through Thursday on Salt and Light Television, online at saltandlighttv.org, and also now on Roku. Hi, or a very sincere g'day to you. I'm Monica Brown from Australia, and you are listening to The Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org. I'm Deacon Pedro. Look me up on Facebook and come and say hello. Coming up is uh, Danny Torquiat to tell us how to build a PR department. Now it's time for Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Hi, Deacon Pedro. How are you? Very Welcome good, back. thank you. How is your Lent? Lent is going very well, and you? Oh, very good. Very good. Listen, you know, I seem to be sparking theological debates amongst people. Okay. Um, we know that Sunday 
Sundays yes. in Lent um, are still solemnities. Uh, yes. once, a su- once a Sunday, always a, solemn- a solemnity. Yes. So um, I know that whatever you give up in Lent, yes. you can technically indulge in on uh, Sunday. I don't know it's if a in... great celebration, it's a great solemnity. But I don't know about you. Uh, I don't but know for if me, it... when you go in on Ash Wednesday with whatever you've given up, there's no coming out of that until Easter Sunday. Yes, I, I don't know if I would use the word indulge, but if for some reason you you you, you you're allowed to break that. that yeah, that, you can that, break it. So, yeah, like, say for yes. I say indulge because yes. you know there are a few people around me who have given up chocolate yeah, or yeah, chips yeah, or something yeah, no, sweet or salty for lunch. You can't go now, party you know, on chocolate all Sunday. There's other things that we could give yes, up. We could give yes. up some really, really bad habits. So, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, but it's a solemnity. You yeah, could, no. you, could um, you could, do that habit or you could indulge in that sweet once again. I'm like, no, no. no. Ash Wednesday comes. There's no coming out of it until the great celebration yes. of Easter. You know, it's all about your heart. Absolutely. God cares more about your heart. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's just been very funny. There you go. That's a... people talk about that. But anyways, uh, keeping with that theme, keeping <laughs> with the season yes. of Lent, um, you know, I was on the uh, U.S. Um, CCB's website the other day, and they yes. have a really, really good resource for um, saints in the Lenten season. Okay. Very good opportunity to kind of reflect and pray. And I noticed that um, they have St. Dominic Savio. Yes. And I've always wanted to know a little bit more about who Dominic is. So um, he was born, we know, on the 2nd of April, 1842, in Turin, which can be found in northern Italy. And he was born yes. to humble but very devout Christian parents. Mm-hmm. And while still a boy, he decided to become a faithful imitator of Jesus. And he would avoid anything that would distance himself uh, personally, spiritually, and emotionally from the Lord. Yeah. At the age of seven, we know in his story that he made his first Holy Communion, and at 12, became a spiritual son of John Bosco. Uh-huh. Under the direction of who we know is a really great Salesian saint, yes. Dominic became a tabernacle a tabernacle for the Lord. He became a great tent for the Lord, mm-hmm. and a model and example of, really, God's love for all people. And with his lifestyle, he became an apostle and missionary of Jesus. Uh, for those people um, in history who have met Dominic Savio personally, they've said that he was not that he was not small in stature, but rather frail, very okay. frail and very thin. He preferred to listen rather than speak, and that's very interesting because um, in today's generation, where we're constantly being bombarded with you know, um, advertisements and people, you know, talking and sending us messages, it's really, really hard to listen. Mm-hmm. So he was a listener, which strikes out for me the most. Yeah. Very humble, respectful towards all people. He had a natural gift for uh, really settling arguments and quarrels, uh, which at that, at that age often, you know, um, came up among his friends. Mm-hmm. His interest solely was God and how to lead others to use all their strength, all their power, all their will to serve God. What he lacked in physical strength, we know, uh, made up for in moral stature, Hmm. in courage, in acceptance and love for God's will. Um, The first biography of Dominic Savio, we know, was written by his teacher, as I had mentioned, St. John Bosco, and those pages led to many vocations, um, including that of the future Pope Benedict XV, who watched over the Holy Childhood Society with loving concern. Uh, Dominic died at the age of 15 on March the 9th, 1857, and he went on to be canonized by Pope Pius XII in 1954, um, which was exactly uh, about 51 years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dominic Savio, uh, we look to him for inspiration during this uh, beautiful Lenten season. Yes, and his feast day is... 
It's feast day is March the 9th. March the 9th. So Dominic Savio. I did not know so, that he died so young. Yeah, so his feast day comes up uh, in two days. It comes up on Monday. So we pray for, we pray for him. And interestingly enough, uh, St. John Paul II, in his homily in 1997, said, Like St. Dominic Savio, be missionaries of good example, good words, good action at home with neighbors and colleagues at work. At every age, we can and we must bear witness to Christ. Commitment to bear witness is permanent, and it's daily. Amen. Something to, something to keep in the back of our mind as we continue on this Lenten journey. Absolutely. And just to let people know, you mentioned that uh, USCCB resource, so that's at usccb.org. Yes, you can find it at uh, usccb.org slash prayer and worship. Um, So they have a whole uh, page dedicated to saints for the Lenten season. Excellent. Thank you very much, Andrew. Andrew Santos, our saint expert, is the youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario. Hi, this is Matthias Michael, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Ethan Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome back to the program. I guess I have to say Happy New Year. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, it has been be... a while since yeah. Christmas. Great, great to be with you. So a lot of times when, I, when I'm around doing workshops on, on media, uh, a lot of the media uh, relations people for, uh, let's say, uh, religious organizations are, are, are telling me that they're alone. I'm by myself. I have to do web. I have to do social networking. I have to do advertising. I have to do media relations. They do it all and they have no budget. So what, what uh, advice do you have for, for, for these people in terms of building a, a PR or communications department, if we can call it that? Yeah, sure. It's something that people wrestle with. And I think because it's very important, it's really important to have a communications function that supports the organization. So it's worth taking a few hours to really plan it out, not just for the short term, not just to plan it out for one event or one campaign, but to say, I'd like this function to support our our ministry, our our business, our apostolate, uh, and I want it to be there for a year or two. So in planning it, it's important to look at you know, are there some uh, schools nearby, or uh, whether a Catholic private school or other schools where young people, young minds, or, or minds of any age are getting tooled or retooled or trained in anything related to communications, journalism, mm-hmm. uh, public relations, social media, and then try to tap into those, have some longstanding relationships? Okay, so they can help you? Is that what you mean? Yeah, because everyone needs experience. And in, in okay. public relations, we notice that there's uh, so many people that are taking this uh, profession up and learning about it, but they have nowhere to go, and they're all vying for the same jobs. So I think it's a great opportunity for church groups Uh or dioceses or any organization doing good to say, I'm going to tap into that. I can provide a good experience, but then we'll need someone to mentor them. And Uh and I think, because everyone wants experience, it's good also to think in the community or in your donor database or participants, uh, are there people that have experience that are retired or yeah. uh, maybe there's someone who's uh, on some kind of leave and, and have, or have extra time on their hands to mentor a young uh, volunteer coordinator. But those right. are two ways to grow the PR function relatively uh, efficiently. Right. And, and it's so important. Like, we need storytellers. We, we yeah. have a story to tell. Um, so it's, we, we should take the time to plan the next 
two, three years to ensure that everything we do has a, has a, a scribe or someone who will mm-hmm. tell the story in a fact-based way, and it's worth taking the time to train them and develop them. Okay, so you're not so if 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 I I don't need to do the poster myself, but I can go to a school that has a graphic arts department, and those students can do a, a nice poster for me, and they'll probably do a better job because they're doing graphic design. That's what you mean. Absolutely, and and you've identified a very good what's called technical skill, yeah. which is graphic design. You you could look at other technical skills like writing, and that's journalism. That's uh-huh. a technical skill. You could look at social media, technical skill, event planning, technical skill, yeah. uh, programming. Uh, so as you see, there's a bunch of different technical skills that uh, people get trained in. Mm-hmm. And if you know that you're going to need a lot of graphic design or HTML, why not develop a partnership with a, co- a program that teaches kids that? Uh, and then you also need planners, like strategists. So that's right. critical. And that, I would say, people who are alone, sure, I mean, they can read. There's some, like, uh, uh, the Public Relations Society of America is amazing with resources. That's called PRSA. Um, then there's, there's uh, in Canada, there's the Canadian Public Relations Society. There's the Institute for PR in, in Tampa, which is amazing. Uh-huh. And then I just, I wish there were more resources for the Catholic Church, um, where you could, like, you know, learn about communications uh, from a church perspective. I, I guess you could go to the USCCB or maybe look at what other groups are doing, but I, I don't think there's a school, a place where you can get trained necessarily unless you call up your local, uh, you know, school that's a Catholic school. Right. So this is really good advice, um, uh, in particular because a lot of the people that I've spoken to, I mean, they work for religious congregations. They're doing vocations at the same time that they're doing communications um, because they want to promote vocations. So this is a great way to get young people involved. They're learning about your religious congregation, but they're doing a poster for you or doing event planning for you or writing for you or doing a video for you, and at the same time you might be getting some new vocations so maybe maybe we found we found a perfect match here danny well you're right and you know it's, at the end of the day it's important to build uh competency through investment i mean we're talking here about yes. investment of time but sooner or later organizations have to say well i'm going to also add a few dollars because you know yes. i'm not saying that every organization has the the funds to do that but we have to go out and get donors, inspire donors and Catholics to say, you know what, I like your project for a communications position, let me support it. Right. Or if you look at the Archdiocese of Toronto, they have a big plan, you know, the, the, the office and plan that has a big element, which is communications. Yes. So yes. it's very apropos and trendy or a requisite yeah. to say we're going to do this, so might as well ask for money to hopefully have a position that ideally you're paying someone to do this. Yeah, so we can tell our story. Okay, we're going to leave it there, but this is good. So you mentioned the Public Relations Society of America and the Canadian Public Relations Society, and then there's also, of course, other organizations like your Episcopal Conference um, that, that you can go for help, and your local Catholic high school. Yeah, and again, we'll try to po- post some information on, on the website. Absolutely. And give the people resources through the internet. Good, yes. So uh, all these, Danny writes a lot of blogs, and they go on our website. There's a little section for media ministry minutes so just look it up um thank you danny my pleasure thank you danny have a great lent you too danny torquia is our public relations expert and the managing director of torquia communications you can follow him on twitter at dan torquia hey everybody it's marie miller and you're listening to the salt and light hour with deacon pedro having a child with a disability comes with many many challenges the least of them is finding the right school environment. And maybe even finding a school with the right faith environment can be next to impossible. 
Because of this, a group of educators in Ann Arbor, Michigan, are opening this summer the nation's first Catholic high school in the United States exclusively for students with special needs. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Richard Nye, co-founder and president at the Veritas Christi Catholic High School. Richard, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So why do we need a high school like Veritas Christi? Well, Veritas Christi is, as you said in your introduction, a, a uh, school for uh, students, um, a Catholic school mm-hmm. for students with special needs. And we are filling a void. There is no um, Catholic high school in the United States specifically uh, 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 for students with special needs. There are Catholic schools that have perhaps a resource room, or they have a special program, or they right. have a department, perhaps. There are some for uh, special uh, special needs students. Right. But Veritas Christi Catholic High School is um, was created and, uh, for that particular student population. Right. So when you say special needs, do you mean d- all forms of disabilities? Are we talking learning disabilities or, or ev- everything? Well, there are 13 categories um, in the state of Michigan. I'm not sure whether this is a, a nationwide, but in Michigan yeah. there are 13 categories of special needs, and we will accept as many of those categories as we possibly can. And, of course, that's, you know, learning disabilities, Asperger's, autism, yeah. um, all different forms of, of uh, students with uh, challenges mm-hmm. um, and um so, yes, we will accept as many as we can with not over-promising, because we don't want to disappoint anyone. Now, some people that, that uh, have experiences with, with their own children or working with, with children with disabilities, educators in particular, would advocate that integrating them in a, in a, if I can use the word, regular school is actually better for them. What is the thinking behind having a school that is exclusively for uh, children, even though they have different different abilities? but uh, uh, there's no integration with with able-bodied or abled kids, is there? Well, I, I'm glad you brought this up, because mm-hmm. I have been a high school teacher for 40-plus uh, years, and I am a, a social studies teacher. Yeah. So I'm well aware of having special needs students in the room, and, and that is a... Um, that can be a challenge in, its, in itself yes. because you have perhaps maybe 25 or 30 students in a room mm-hmm. and you have some students with special needs and even some of those that come with an aid. And I, I'm certainly all for integrating students into the general student population. And that's exactly what we intend to do at Veritas Christi Catholic High School. Okay. Our focus is faith-based and also educationally okay. uh, based for these students. Okay. And so it's a, it's a regular high school, grades 7 to 12. Are you offering any specific curriculum, or is it the, the, the state-mandated curriculum? Well, we are off, we're, well, first of all, we're offering a diploma that okay. we are. Um, we're, some schools uh, only offer a certificate. We're mm-hmm. offering um, a diploma by graduation, and we're offering two curriculums. One curriculum for students that possibly do not plan to go beyond high school graduation, and another curriculum for those students that very likely would go beyond a high school education. So there's two different curriculums, and and both um, end up with a diploma. 
Right. So you're you're able to to accommodate whatever needs a particular student might have. So if people want to find out more, they can go. You have a website. It's veritaschristi.com. We're going to put that uh, that link on our site so people can find it easily. But you're in Michigan, uh, in in the Ann Arbor area. So I guess that that limits the people who might be interested in, in learning more. But uh, certainly, uh, I, I I hope that we're able to help you spread the word, and that. Uh, the the word the work that you're doing this this pioneering work uh, uh, bears good fruit. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the opportunity to let people know about our school. Once again, that website is veritaschristi.com. Coming up in our second half hour, the church in Quebec, and a featured chat with Michael James Meddy. So stay tuned. Change yourself and the world around you with a graduate degree from Loyola's Institute of Pastoral Studies. Loyola's degree programs will give you the skills you need to serve others in the information age. Our brand new digital communication concentration combines Loyola's Jesuit values with the skills to use social media and other digital platforms for outreach and evangelization. To learn more about Loyola's graduate programs and other courses we offer, head to luc.edu ips. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, if you're outside of Canada, perhaps you haven't heard much about the church in Quebec. But you may know that Quebec is the first diocese north of Mexico City, and it was the whole North America was a diocese. Last year, they celebrated their 350th anniversary. But you may not know that Quebec has had a rocky history with the church. And today, much of the news that we hear from Quebec has to do with secularism and religious freedom. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Jasmine Lemieux-Lefebvre. He's the Director of Communications for the Archdiocese of Quebec. Jasmine, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Bonjour. It's good to see you. Yeah. Good to see you. So how much is our Catholic identity part of the Quebec culture? Because it's kind of all in there, no? Yes. Well, you said it at the beginning, you know, when the uh, diocese in the... Uh, story of Quebec started, you know, it was covering a big bunch of North America mm-hmm. all the way down to Louisiana. Yeah. And from the Diocese of Quebec, you know, um, it, it gave birth to all of the dioceses that we've got in Canada and the U.S. So looking back at our story, you know, many, this year, Pope Francis, you know, canonized two uh, important figures, yes. you know, François de Laval, yes. Marie de l'Incarnation. Yes. Um, very important. And we had uh, pilgrims from all across North America. Our, our cathedral is beautiful. Yes. We're celebrating so our, the 350th anniversary of this parish. Uh-huh. Um, and um, people, when they come to Quebec, they say, oh, the, the rich history and everything. But at the same time, when they do talk with Catholics, they say, mm-hmm. well, oh, well, we come a long way. Now it's, it's, um, it's missionary territory. Now it's missionary territory because uh, the quote-unquote Catholics of Quebec, because most people are in Quebec are Catholic, yes. have left the church? Yeah, it's very strange because when you look at um, surveys and census, you know, still 80% of uh, Quebecers, you know, identify themselves with Catholicism. Yeah. But... Um, People who do practice, you know, it's three to five percent. Okay, and but uh, there, there's a big limbo in between, you know, mm-hmm. of people who, yes, um, describe themselves as cultural Catholic. Yeah, but it's very difficult to 
see how, you know, their faith relate to them on a daily basis. And that's our job right now as, as a church, uh-huh. led by Cardinal Lacroix. Yes. We've got a great pastor. Yes. But it, it, it is a struggle because um, for many Quebecois, it's like we've heard so much, like a, a bit of history now. Yes. So the church was so present up to the 60s, you uh-huh. know. It was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Some people were saying that the most Catholic nation in the world was in Quebec because, you know, everybody were Catholics. The, the government was much aligned with yes. the church, the uh, hospitals, education, hospitals, education. everything. And there have been, unfortunately, um, a few people of the church who, you know, didn't act in the most evangelical mm-hmm. way yes. and took, you know, a little bit too much over and... The gospel roots of Catholicism, you know, went away a little bit. And it was so much, you know, okay, all of the pressure by the people to practice. But have they met Jesus Christ, you know, at their own personal servior? No. So, and in the 60s, what we call the Révolution Tranquille, the quiet revolution happened, where slowly, you know, people said, well, we've got enough with this faith, which Uh was not really... The Catholic faith. It was a caricature of the faith mm-hmm. that people identified. And today we still, you know, people still talk about this quiet, quiet revolution, quiet revolution, but without remembering that all of the good, because mm-hmm. there's still many people practicing, you know, yes. and the Catholic Church in Quebec, you know, I've got many, many, many hopes that uh, it, it will be at one point, you know, uh, a new cradle of faith, uh-huh. but We've got to go through a conversion, right? Going really into missionary uh, status, uh-huh. and the, the, the first step it's in our parishes, right? So, you, so you'd say that then that that this push towards secularism is a result or a reaction to how how much, if I can say, power the church had yes. up to the sixties is is the whole push towards I think it's almost a fear uh, of religious freedom. Is that coming from the same place? Because now you also have a lot in Montreal, a lot of uh, Muslims, for example, um, and and the Quebec Charter. They're very proud. So this is in the United States. They don't have the, the equivalent, but this is like the the Constitution. If can I say that uh, for Quebec, that they're very proud that it's a secular nation and the separation of church and state. Is that coming from the same place? Yes, well, th- thank goodness, last election, you know, there was the Parti Québécois, yes. who is an um, independentist um, party, was trying to really get um, uh, what we call laïcité, so secularism, Sick, uh-huh. in, in, in an all-new matter, like everywhere where uh, public servants could have not wear any religious mm-hmm. sign, yes, not, not even, even a cross. Not even a cross, uh, but thank goodness... <clears throat> This party didn't um, got his way. Yes. Yes. No. So right now, um, still, whenever, and it's very strange because when you look at um, our parliament, Mm -hmm. the Quebec parliament, there is a a crucifix. There is Jesus Christ, you know, right in the middle and everything, and people don't want to touch it. So in a place where people don't want, again, it's like a caricature, you know, don't want a lot to do with the church, nobody wants to touch this crucifix. Yeah, interesting. And it's some, somewhat a reminder of our past. Uh-huh. But many people, um, and sometimes, including myself, and the bishop said, you know, it's not us who's asking, you know, you've got to keep mm-hmm. Christ there because many people say, well, we're keeping it, but it's just, you it's know, meaningless. cultural, yeah. 
folklore and everything. Well, if it's this, you know, well, uh, we'll take don't, it down. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because um, Christ, you know, is uh, is our Savior. Is uh, is a person. Is God. So um, there's there's a lot of work to do. But what I like is that um, the new generation doesn't have the same issue as the baby boomers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who kind of a big chunk of them anyway in Quebec kind of just okay. We're moving away from this. We don't want to hear anything about uh-huh. it. Uh, the new generation. Um, they they don't have this same um, defiance, yeah. With the church, they they're just ignorant, and I'm not saying this, you know, in a negative way. They yeah. just don't know much. So, um, it, it's important for 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 people of the church, people of faith, to tell them that the church they've heard, because in many cultural product, mm-hmm. there's still this idea of the church. As it was, you know, in mm-hmm. the before right, the sixties, exactly. and, and the sorry, we, we moved on. Yes, and yes. and 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 I always want to remind them that yes, there's a period of time, from maybe the 1860 to 1960, so 100 years, mm-hmm. where yes, the church was very powerful and everything. But before that, there's still, you know, a 300 years of history where it was missionary ground mm-hmm. where. The missionary were learning the languages of the native people. Um, yeah. They were not, you know, pushing down their throat, you know, the Catholic faith. It's really true. Um, exchange, you know, mutual understanding that the native people mm-hmm. in French Canada decided to move towards the faith because they, they've seen, you know, the, the person of Jesus Christ as, you know, true God. Yeah. So there's this big part of our history that we do not remember as Quebecois. And in the 100 years, it was a little bit more tough because of the par- how powerful was the church. Still, most of its action was were wonderful, you mm-hmm. know. If you take away the work of the religious orders and education and the hospitals... <laughs> you wouldn't have anything. <laughs> no. So it's important yes. to, to remind the younger generation about we owe a lot to the church. But it's yeah. not because of this that people will go back to uh, say that, okay, it is important. Spiritual matters are of any importance because that's the key issue. It's not e- e- even, you know, having them to meet Jesus Christ. First, they need to understand that yeah. their spiritual life is something that they need to spend time with, that they need to read. And when they'll read, when they will hear people, of they, they, they might recognize that well, Jesus, who is at their roots, you know, Quebec, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at the flag, you know, you've got the cross. Yes. Uh, and, hey, this, your grandparents, you know, why they were going to church, it's not because they were like fools just doing what they were told. Follow yeah. like sheep. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there was a, a very huh. nice, piety devotion um, that came from somewhere. And, you know, the devotion to the sacred art of Jesus. There's so many devotion that mm-hmm. was very, very important. And... Uh, I do think that it helped our nation to grow. And now, maybe in some new ways, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Colonel Lacroix is, is, is asking us now to find <clears throat> in our parishes, I mean, for a long time, you know, just receiving people. They were just dropping Welcoming by in you. masses and everything. Um, still today, we, we need to, to change the focus into, okay, yes, you, you have people come in, older folks, you know, coming on a weekly basis, but... If you stay and wait with this, we know churches will close one after the other. And already we have churches closing. closing. And yeah. why those churches are closing? It's because there are communities who did not make the curve 
the the, the big switch. Yeah. But that's hard. It is it because is. A p- parish priests, you know, they've got tons of churches on their shoulders. Yes. And they're becoming administrator. So now we need to tell them that hire the right people to do the administrative part. So that they can be pastors. So they can be pastors. Yes. That we can hire pastoral associates, you know, find the young yeah. people who will have the drive to inspire other people. To, and there are those communities. I know them. And uh-huh. they're flourishing. Yes. But they're still, you know, a creative minority. Yeah. Um, but people will need to make this. Mm-hmm. This switch and with Pope Francis, Cardinal Lacroix, it's yeah, no, it's great. It and has to happen. Francis is the one that's saying the doors of the church have to be open so that we go out and get the people, and that's so. In a way, it's very exciting where you are right now. Quebec started as a mission territory and it continues being a mission territory. Big time, so, yes. So it's a good place to be. Thank you, Jasmin, uh, for sharing with us a little bit about your experience in the Church of Quebec today. Merci beaucoup. Jasmin Lemieux Lefebvre is the communications director for the Archdiocese of Quebec. Here now is our featured artist of the week. Michael James Meddy with Drown Us in Your Love from his new album Arts and Humanity. In you I fall apart Pieces of a broken heart Fashioned into one The body and the sun Jesus you are holy Wash us with your blood Oceans of your mercy Drown us in your love Precious in your eyes Though my hands are dirty Michael James Meddy with Drown Us In Your Love from his new album, Arts and Humanity. 
Last we spoke with Michael James Meddy, he was just buying an Airstream, a mobile home, and was about to embark with his whole family on a cross-country tour, cross-continent maybe tour. If I remember correctly, they had no time limit. This was May 2013, and it would take as long as it took. And now they're back. And Michael James has a new album, Arts and Humanity. And to tell us all about their adventures and about the new album, I'm now joined by Michael James Meddy. Michael, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Deacon. I appreciate it. So May 2013, you went, and I know that you didn't go off and never, you know, return for two years, but, I mean, more or less, did you set out with yeah, no direction? Our, our kind of goal, well, we prayed about it whenever we bought the Airstream, and my wife and I committed that we're going to stick it out for one year. Like, we've okay. never camped before, we've never pulled a trailer, <laughs> oh. it's going to take a while, there's going to be pain and suffering and all this stuff, so it's going to take a year to kind of figure out, you know, up yeah. from down and left from right and make sure... Uh, that this is something good, and we don't want misery on wheels. Like, no. we, you know, we we didn't know if it was going to be a great adventure or if it was going to be misery on wheels. We don't want misery. We don't want to drag our kids all around the country just for whatever. Yeah. But after a year, after, actually, right away, it was only two or three months in. We we're like, wow, this is this is really an awesome way of of living and ministering and sharing our gifts and talents with the broader church. Okay. And so, um, yeah. So we just kept going. So, yeah. so wait, how many children do you have? There's four. Five. Well, when we started, we, we had five. Okay. Now we have six. Okay, good. Sorry, I'm not tr- keeping track. Um, um, yeah, Truman was born just three months ago. Okay, and and you, so you were living out of this mobile home. Did you sell your house? What did you do? How did that work? Or, or... Yeah, we rented it out to some friends of ours. Okay. We have a house in St. Louis, Missouri, and we rented it out to some friends of ours. Because once again, when we started... You know, our parents and some of our close friends were kind of like, you're really going to do this? Like, this is, you know, 200 square feet is not a lot of room for you yeah. and five kids, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and And so we didn't, there was a, a lot of unknowns. Like, we, we, were, we were excited, but there were a lot of unknowns. And right away, we started to see the value of, of me being more present in the kids' lives, obviously. Yes. But also the kids getting a chance to see all of, you know, God's creation. Beautiful, And to see yeah. the way that the Church is expressed, you know, in the Northeast, which is different than the Southwest, and yeah. different than, you know, in Florida, and different in the Midwest. So they were just really able to learn a lot about um, about life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, traveling around with me. So this... And so yeah. just recently, like, we were traveling, and, and we, we really felt like this was what God was calling us to do. But there were some challenges in the trailer kind of Airstream model, as cool and as, as a yeah. you know, retro vintage... Airstream yeah. is. Yeah. It was built, you know, 30 years ago, and we were just really putting a lot of miles on it. And and the more we traveled, the more parishes would say, hey, come play a concert for us, and come play a concert for us. And so um, we looked around, and, and we recently just bought a tour bus, okay. because that's really uh, a much more excellent form of traveling. Now the kids will be able to walk around as we go. They can work on their homeschool while we're driving. Uh, there's bunks. They can go to sleep if we need to drive somewhere else. And it's, uh, we're really excited about this. We just picked it up last week. But that's going to allow us to travel even to even more places uh, and share the gospel uh, in an even more excellent way. Okay, so you've come back not because the tour is over, but because you need to upgrade, basically, so you can continue yeah, in a better way. It's, it's like shifting gears. We're, we're pushing the clutch in right now because we're about <laughs> to go into third year. Okay, nice. So, so you weren't just traveling to see the country. You were doing ministry. So how did you structure the trip, at least sort of, because I guess you were going, you committed for a year, but you didn't know what God had in store. So were you booking, trying to book uh, concerts, uh, talks, ministry engagements, yeah, that sort of thing? Yeah, w- when, 
when it first started out, I was doing a lot more retreats mm-hmm. and a lot more um, parish missions and a lot more um, kind of youth rally things. Yeah. And as, and then we would do kind of concerts in between to fill in the dates. Yeah. And we realized more and more that the concerts were were really where I felt the most fulfilled and where we felt like we were able to do the best ministry. And so really we've transitioned to doing almost solely kind concerts. of uh, evening concerts at parishes. Yeah. Last year we played 127 dates, and we've been to 41 of the 50 states in, in the United States. Amazing. Um, and, and so the, the evening concerts are about 60 to 90 minutes long, uh-huh. and uh, normally my kids come up for a song, and my wife is involved. She shares some of her testimony. And so it's somewhere... Um, it's somewhere between a parish mission and an arena rock show. We have right. lights and we have video and we have music and uh, and it's really and we've been able to structure it so that we just do it uh, for a free will donation when we come into parishes. Okay. Um, a lot of times, you know, finances are tight and we never want money to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just we do it for a donation halfway through, and people have been unbelievably generous. So you were able. I mean, God, God provides. So you were able to make a living for the last two years just from doing that correct and not even that like it's it's not even surviving it's thriving like you we literally really... just got a tour bus yeah so uh, you, were able you know to and upgrade. literally all built on donations so yeah gotta okay. be great and you're not so it's just you and your wife and the kids you don't have techies you don't have roadies it's just you. we travel with a band sometimes okay for like different uh you know when, whenever it necessitates it uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we're a really low-budget operation, so my, my road crew, uh, most of them are under, you know, under 10 years old, helping <laughs> me carry in stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, there's kind of different tasks that they can do. My wife works the merchandise table, Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of a family affair. They're learning about business and, <laughs> and logistics, all, uh, all a part of the road travels. Right. So how was, uh, I mean, this can be great for a family, but it can also be challenging, so Talk to me before you tell me about all the great stuff. Tell me about the challenges that that you had. You know, two hundred square feet, five kids, a wife. Yeah. Eventually, a pregnant wife. Um, <laughs> yeah. That that I don't know how old your eldest daughter. She's your daughter is the eldest, right? You have a daughter. Yeah. You Gabrielle know, is ten and a half. She's eleven now. That's that's difficult for a ten year old. It can be. It how can did you be. How did you navigate? You and your wife navigate those those situations. What? Some of the challenges are um, that you're in close proximity uh, a lot of the time, especially when it's bad weather out, mm-hmm. um, because when it's bad weather, then everyone is inside. If it's cold or yeah. it's rainy, when it's good weather, they can go play at the park, they can play outside, and, it, and it's a lot better for everyone. Yeah. Um, some of the challenges are when we have different dates because of the scheduling back-to-back and we have long distances to travel. Yeah. Those are hard. Those are hard to be in a car seat or be in, you know, um, in a van for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, you run out of podcasts to listen to and you run out of music to listen to. Um, you run out of uh, audiobooks to listen to. And, the, the you know, the Wi-Fi or the cell phone reception might not be good. Right. Uh, so those kind of things are, are challenges on the road, obviously. Yeah. Um, but we found that, that the blessings have, have far outweighed those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, as I've lived in different parts of the country, even before we traveled, uh, I was in the military for a while. Yes. You know, I, I worked at a ministry job for a while. There's this side of heaven, there's always challenges, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't matter what, uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Uh, it doesn't matter what your state in life is. Like, there's always going to be. Uh, challenges to be overcome. Yeah. Uh, but I think when we when we approach it with the spirit of charity and when we uh, approach it with uh, a Christian spirit, 
you can see that you can offer up your sufferings for something that's even greater. Yeah. Um, well and said. so, so we, we really tried to train our, our family and our kids to to look at those days and and offer it up, and um, and offer it up for other people that that might need prayers more than we do. So, when you decided to upgrade to the tour bus, is that a conver- a family? Was that a family meeting, and your kids had as much say as to whether they wanted to continue? How did you m- manage that? Yeah, we we looked at a lot of different buses, uh, and and you know we talked about converting one ourselves because our needs were fairly specific, yeah. And that we needed uh, living space and also uh, traveling space, yeah. And so uh, we we really we would include it in our family's prayers uh, quite uh-huh. often, yeah. Uh, and so it you know it's regular that if it's God's will that we can um, get the tour bus and that that'll be a place of peace. And that you know, Dad can learn to drive it, and uh, yes. and so I mean, when God when God wants something to happen, it happens, and it happened very quickly, like in the last month, uh, just several different dominoes fell in, into place uh, with donors and with uh, tax returns, and then the airstream sold on eBay for uh, the full asking price, and it's like, okay, well, let's do it, and so That's uh, we drove and delivered the airstream, and then we drove you know back for concerts, and then we drove and picked up the bus, and now we're uh, we're heading down to Texas for the next couple months. Wow, that's great. So when people can find out where you're going to be at your website, and I'll give that information later, but I don't want to let you go before you tell me a little bit about the new album, Arts and Humanity. We've been listening to a couple of the songs. So this is it fair mm-hmm. to say that, that this album came out of that adventure, that, that traveling experience? Yeah, very much so. Uh, Arts and Humanity, um, the songs were all written kind of when we were on tour, uh, you know, living in different parts of the country. And one of the things that I saw over and over again is that, um, and I struggle with this too, is that we have a tendency to, to kind of segment our church life from the rest of our life, or, or that we compartmentalize God, or that mm-hmm. we, we kind of have, you know, we let God have part of our life, but not all of it. And I feel like I wanted to try to explore with this album um, an integrated lifestyle, right. and that's kind of what we were living. You know, we were living a lifestyle where you work and you play and you're with your family and it's kind of bring your kid to work day every day. And it's, yes. you know, your ministry, it's all kind of wrapped up together, you know, our business and our ministry and our family, it's all kind of integrated. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the songs I wanted to write about an integrated faith. And so a lot of the songs, um, use a lot of, uh, they're written with a sacramental imagination. Yeah. Um, and there's some songs that are overtly prayerful and then other ones that are just talking about uh, spiritual truths or talking about, you know, the riches that our Catholic faith has to offer from more of a uh, cultural point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to write songs, um, I try to write songs out of my own life experience. And so, you know, songs like The Beat Goes On, yeah. it's really an Easter song. It's a song about persevering through darkness and through suffering and through struggles. Um, and, and that life goes on in spite of all of that. Yeah. And, uh, but. And so, obviously, as Christians, as Catholics, we can say, oh, wow, that's the road to Emmaus, that's Easter Sunday. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, but it's not offensive to somebody else. Yeah. I wanted to try to write songs that would invite people back to the Church, people that maybe have fallen away. Absolutely, and I think you've done that. It's, it's a really good album, and in fact, we're going to play that song at the end of the show, The Beat Goes On, even though it's Lent. But I guess Easter is part of Lent, so we can it's look just, forward to it's Easter. It's just around the corner. Absolutely. Mike, uh, Michael James, thank you so much. I hope that you can uh, uh, squeeze in some Canada dates for your next leg of the tour. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and we hope to meet you in person one day. That'd be great. Thanks so much, Deacon. You're welcome. You can find out more about Michael James Meddy, book him for a concert, or find out where he's going to be, or buy his music at his website, michaeljamesmeddy.com. Here now is Michael James with The Beat Goes On, that song, 
from his new album, Arts and Humanity. We're listening to Michael James Meddy with The Beat Goes On from his new album, Arts and Humanity. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Next week, we're going to be giving away a copy of Michael James Meddy's Arts and Humanity. So go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio and sign up for a chance to win. If you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at that same webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. This show would not be possible without the support of our featured artists and all our guests, so go check them out and support their work. Also remember our partner radio stations, the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, Holy Family Radio, the Lamb Radio Network, the Barriga Radio Network, and Relevant Radio when you're making your donations. And remember us too. This show is completely free thanks to donations, so please contact us to learn how you can help keep the Salt and Light Hour on the air. Our email is radio at saltandlighttv.org. You can also look me up on Facebook, Deacon Pedro. I'm also on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Every comment or message that we get will get you entered into our weekly draw for a chance to win great prizes from our featured artists and authors. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been an all-new Salt and Light Hour.